Today, I want to tell you about the murder of Hollywood sex therapist Amy Harwick. She dedicated her life to helping people work through their relationships and escape domestic abuse. But on Valentine's Day 2020, she was strangled and thrown off her third-story balcony at her home in the Hollywood Hills of Los Angeles. The man accused of her murder? He's a former boyfriend. His name is Gareth Pursehouse. If you've got less than an hour, this is the show for you. Amy and I are bringing you twice the crime in half the time. In recap number two, I'm going to tell you the story of Nevada cowgirl Brittany Ulacki. She was only 16 when her body was found rolled up in a tarp off the side of a dirt road in the middle of the northern Nevada desert. She'd been missing for three days. The DNA from a condom found near her body led police to the man they say killed her. He was one of her best friends. For almost 10 years, Amy Harwick was looking over her shoulder, wondering if the ex she was afraid of would find his way back into her life. And then, when she least expected it, he did. On January 17th, 2020, Amy walked the red carpet at XBiz. It's an adult industry business conference and award show. They have those. She was there in her role as a celebrity sex therapist to sit on a panel about mental health and counseling. It was a last minute invitation to take over for another therapist who couldn't make it. But then she saw him, her ex, Gareth Pursehouse. He was one of the photographers at the event. She hadn't seen him since filing a restraining order against him in 2012. But as horrified as she was to see him there, it didn't compare to his psychotic rage when he saw her. People who were there say they'll never forget the scene he made. He was right up in her face, screaming that she was a hypocrite and she'd ruined his life. He recited 10-year-old text messages from their relationship. Now, according to interviews her friends gave 48 Hours, he went down to his knees, crying. He curled up into the fetal position while the crowd stood around him. No one except Amy knew what was going on, but she knew what kind of violence he was capable of, so she tried to de-escalate the situation. In an interview with Rolling Stone, her friends explained that she went into therapist mode to talk him down. She took Gareth away from the crowd and tried talking to him. And when they saw them together, they noticed that Gareth was waving his hands around, angry. Later, he came up to their table and tried talking to her again. She walked away with him and let him talk, but her friends say she was shaken up after that. She was scared, but she thought it would be okay. She had a new roommate, so she wasn't living alone, and she bought mace and pepper spray and changed the locks. On Valentine's Day, a month later, she was murdered. Amy and Gareth met while she was working as a go-go dancer in Los Angeles in 2010. That was just one of the side jobs she had to pay her way through a master's degree in clinical psychology at Pepperdine University and a doctorate from the Institute for the Advanced Study of Human Sexuality. Most of her friends were underwhelmed when they met Gareth. He worked as a software engineer, but he wanted to be a comedian or a photographer. One of those friends told Rolling Stone that Gareth reminded her of Ted Bundy. She said he did a lot of mirroring. You'd say, I love chocolate milkshakes. And he'd say, oh my God, I love chocolate milkshakes. I mean, she felt like he was trying to, quote, imitate how he thought humans behaved. On the surface, they appeared to be a good match. Friends describe her as beautiful, smart, adventurous. They say he was good-looking, intelligent, sort of goofy. 
but after only a couple of months together, he turned abusive and controlling. She took out two restraining orders against him in 2011 and 2012, and the alleged abuse she reported is horrifying. She said Gareth slammed her head into the ground and tried to suffocate her. She described being kicked and punched and said he pushed her out of the car on a freeway off-ramp once. She left him, but it wasn't over. When he wouldn't leave her alone, she reported his bizarre behavior. She said he broke into her apartment and smashed 10 picture frames against her front door. The next day, he came back and taped dozens of flowers to her door. He showed up again the day after that and played music outside for hours, then sent allegedly threatening emails to all of her friends. Then he texted a warning, things will get worse. Her friends say she made it a point to move forward and try to forget about him. If she mentioned him at all, she called him her stalker. In 2012, after the second restraining order was filed, Gareth kept his distance, or so she thought. In an interview with Rolling Stone, her friend said strange, random things kept happening to her. Like if she had to travel, she'd bring her cat to a friend's house because she was afraid that someone might break in and do something to him. She lost a job working with underage offenders after her boss got some nude modeling photos from an anonymous sender. But she went on about her life and tried to use her experiences with Gareth in her work as a therapist, you know, like helping other people navigate their own difficult relationships. She also famously fell in love with Price's Right host, Drew Carey, in 2017. They broke up a little more than a year later, but they stayed good friends. Now, after the scene with Gareth at the awards show, she made a chilling statement to her friend. If anything happens to me, it's Gareth. According to the indictment, he found out where she lived and broke into her house on Valentine's Day in 2020. A little before 1 a.m., Amy returned from a burlesque show. She'd been spending Valentine's night out with friends. She texted another friend about a restaurant he'd recommended for her upcoming trip to the UK, and he responded with a link to the restaurant. She answered him at 1.01 a.m. That was the last time he heard from her. Only 15 minutes after she sent that text, the police responded to a 911 call from her frantic roommate. He said Amy was screaming. She was being attacked. We know she fought back. Wounds on her hands, arms, and shoulders prove that she didn't go quietly. She was beaten, strangled, and pushed, possibly, allegedly, from her third floor balcony, where the police found her around 1.16 a.m. She died at the hospital later that day. The medical examiner determined that she died from blunt force injuries to her head and torso, possibly a result of going off the balcony, but more details will come out at trial. Gareth was arrested about 14 hours later, but then released on bail after posting a $2 million bond. But then he was arrested again the next day on a no-bail warrant. And the story behind this is a little bizarre. Okay, so listen to this. According to her friend's explanation to Rolling Stone, Guitarist Dave Navarro is the one to thank for that. Apparently, his mother was murdered by her abusive ex-boyfriend. When he heard what happened to Amy, he called the police to ensure Gareth wouldn't remain out on bail, which is so strange to me. Not the fact that he called the police. That's awesome. But did the police re-arrest Gareth because Dave Navarro called them? Or because Gareth was the prime suspect in a brutal murder? Which makes me wonder, why was he out on bail to begin with? 
Whatever the story was there, Gareth is charged with murder now. He's pleading not guilty, but as of March 2021, there's no telling when he'll actually have to answer to a jury for Amy's murder. And that's your recap. But don't go anywhere because Chris has a whole other recap for you right after this. Okay, so the thing, this story just kills me because the thing I love about this woman, she just seems so amazing. Like, I would have wanted to know her. She was... She was like a Playboy model. She was a, a go-go a dancer. Go-go dancer. She a was therapist. a therapist. <laughs> she was, I know. I mean, it's like it's incredible. And then she, yeah, she put herself through like her bachelor, her masters, her her. Yeah, doctor. she did. She did all those jobs. Oh, you know, it's amazing. Go-go dancing to, to get her master's mm-hmm. degree. And everybody says a, she just seemed like such a good. She was just such a good person. That's why really it helped. Yeah, that's why. I mean, these types of things are s- just such a shame because. It's such a potential of a person, you know, mm-hmm. and and then and because of someone else who was jealous and mm-hmm. possessive and couldn't handle it, you know. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, le- it's, like if he actually allegedly that's the case, is yeah. found guilty for that for what he's accused of, but I mean, it, it that whole scene that she describes at that award show just mm. seems my god, it's I've just never, insane. Yeah. But the thing that. I thought it was interesting when we were researching this and you keep finding like, well, she had a restraining order out on him in 2012, but those things expire. They only last for five years and you have to refile. Right. And apparently, I don't know if this is true. We, we're we not familiar, as familiar with California. Like, We're not familiar with any domestic <clears throat> violence laws. I'm not I familiar mean, with any restraining orders. We're not yeah. familiar with the restraining order, with, yeah. like personally, but... Um, I believe, yeah, but so let me like explore this a little bit further than we did in the story. So in 2011, she got the first restraining order, but, um, I don't, I don't, I'm sorry. I don't know what the exact word for it is, but it wasn't like, let's say official because there's some sort of thing in California where it has to be like, um, that person has to sort of follow up on the restraining order and like a appear in court apparently and like even the accused has to be there so the person filing the restraining order has to go and also do something uh, physically in court yes to, to and put I, it into action yeah okay, to make gotcha. it they, right. the word i believe is like to make it prosecute to make it official <laughs> something like that and so she didn't do that in 2011 for okay. an unknown reason it wasn't able to determine that but she did do that in 2012 and that's why that was like a quote unquote official that was the one that was actually in effect but those but all restraining orders in california at least only last for five years so Hmm. they so but she didn't refile probably because she thought he was like over it after five years away yeah right it sounded like there was a period of time there where these like you know her boss getting the naked photos and stuff but 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 so so things weird things were happening but she didn't have any evidence of him being around right so maybe that was that time and apparently there was another person that a woman that she was having some sort of altercation with that was also sort of cyber stalking her in some way and this (laughs) was also not like made super clear but she got a restraining order against that person in 2015 so she may have thought that 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 was a and it could have been a result of that woman. Like, huh. we don't know exactly sure. if it was yeah. Gareth, of course. You know what I thought was really interesting about about this, too, was the whole Dave Navarro thing. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Because, because cause like, exactly what you said was, well, well that kind of makes you wonder, why, why was he out on bail in the first place? I mean, 
you know, they let him off on bail for what, $2 million, I think. And then, mm-hmm. and then a rock star calls the police and it's like, oh, oh yeah, forget all that. Bring him back. Yeah, you know, it's like, so wait weird. a minute. So, but let me, uh, there's like more, a little bit more to that story. Too. <laughs> Just, okay. So this is what her friends told Rolling Stone, the Rolling, in the same article. Mm-hmm. So they had said that Dave Navarro had heard that this person, Gareth, was looking, was like looking for him, looking for Dave Navarro because he had, because Gareth had mistakenly believed that Amy was cheating on him with, with Dave, Dave Navarro, Navarro while they were together, like 10 years previously. Right. So, okay. But that wasn't accurate. And even Dave's like spokesperson told Rolling Stone when they called for comment that no, they were just friends and not even good friends at that like they were really yeah. like kind of backing off but okay. but apparently again from this article that they um quoted saying that dave had actually said that that he was in fear like he was concerned he for was. his own safety yeah. wow but that he had said that on even like an instagram story or something but again this is just based on that article on her friends so and Dave's his spokesperson said no that's that wasn't the case that he was just concerned as like a casual acquaintance because yeah. of his own mother had gotten killed but I don't know yeah that's right I yeah. mean it he seemed, has the history I've kind of personally I kind of believe that story about like that he was concerned for his own welfare yeah 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 which yeah. is understandable like there's nothing well number that, one number one as you just said just I mean that story. happened to his mother yes you know and then number two I mean it just sounds like this person is is you know, instills fear in other people, you know, in a threatening sort of a man, you know, threatening mm-hmm. way. Yeah. You know, so so it's probably not too far-fetched to believe that Dave Navarro was a little concerned about his own safety. Yeah, yeah. sure. I mean, if you're hearing that this, pers- this person you knew just was murdered and then this other person was accused of it and they might be coming after you, of course. I yeah. mean, it makes yeah. perfect sense. But it is such a bizarre connection. And then, of course, like the Drew Carey connection is bizarre, too, that they were like, and didn't totally he want to be a comedian too? Like, this, yes. You know? So, so. Oh, that, that, and then, that, I mean, <laughs> sorry, I have one more story about based on that. So he wanted to be a comedian, and there's a video of him, like from his Instagram, that I think like the Daily Mail pulled a copy of it, so you can actually watch the video there. But it was him on his own Instagram telling like a joke about the Game of Thrones. Spoiler alert! If you haven't seen it, that. <laughs> Well, actually, this isn't a spot. This is a plot point that in Game of Thrones, the younger brother, the the character, the kid, the younger brother kid gets pushed out of a window (laughs) by the queen. It's been a while. Okay. Yeah. So anyhow, he was making a joke about, oh, my gosh, he the guy didn't the brother didn't want to push him out of the window. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. It was the brother, not the queen. This is really deteriorating. (laughs) Okay. So the guy pushes him out the window off the balcony. This is where they're getting the connection. Mm. And he was like, kind of not laughing necessarily about that, but sort of, and just being like, well, he didn't want to do it, but the queen insisted, get it? Because they were, the queen and the brother were together. And it's, I mean, it's like, dude, I mean, you might not, you're still just like an accused murderer. He's not found guilty, but he, I can safely say he's probably a terrible comedian. Can yeah, you say that's, that? I, like, I'll, I mean, come on, dude. And he doesn't sound very funny. He does not sound funny. <laughs> and so, yeah. So I know Drew, crazy. I know Drew Carey's funny. Right. I like Drew Carey. Well, of course. You Everybody know. loves Drew Carey. But, do, but, but do you think that that uh, whole idea that, you know, I mean, I'm sure that Amy having a boyfriend is enough, was, would be enough to make this person like, 
you know, oh, yeah. complete. But the fact that it's like an actual comedian, like a real famous mm-hmm. like comedian, I'm sure that didn't help his psyche. Yeah, at all, I didn't think know? of that, but well, I'm yeah, sure I mean, he wanted to be, a, you know, yeah. I mean, he was doing whatever. I can't remember what he was doing, but he wanted to be a, a oh, a, a comedian or, and or a photographer, which it sounds like he ended up being a photographer mm-hmm. of some, on some level. No, going it's to terrible. that, going to the convention. And, uh, you know, knowing, I'm sure he knew she was going to be there, you know, that's when. Well, maybe not because she, it was sort of a last minute thing that she wasn't supposed to be there. Oh. But it's interesting because, again, just speculation, allegedly, we don't know any of this. We're just literally speculating. But he was a software engineer. He was really an IT guy. And if he had like her email tapped or anything like that, again, totally, this is just our own like, what if? That he would have known and then got himself hired, but I don't know. I mean, the way that the event and everything kind of makes it sound like well, we're just we're just yeah, before. we're just speculating on on the idea of yeah. did did he know yeah that, that, that she was going to be there or was it just a job that he got assigned to? Now, on one hand, you want to think that he knew, you know, because it's too much of a horrible in, coincidence. Fe- feeling that whole s- stalker vibe would 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 contribute to that idea, yeah. but. The only reason I would say maybe it was a surprise is that he had such a large reaction, you know, the falling up on the, like, like just to completely lose it like that, Mm -hmm. you know, like if you knew you were walking into a situation where you were going to see, and you, maybe you would try to control it a little bit more, Yeah. but to completely lose it kind of might suggest that maybe he didn't know. Yeah. Which is just like, God, the universe. Why? I mean... It, who's know. to say that like, if he hadn't been there, she hadn't been there, that she would still be alive today? I mean, it's horrifying. And the other thing, but we is, don't know. I mean, <clears throat> obviously, because that w- we don't that we don't know. We're because just, we're just because- we're just speculating on things. But you know, just talking about the case and and what may or may not be you know uh, true. Yeah. As no, far as as far terrible. as feelings, but but you know, uh, the other thing is when you know, and and you hear this in other stories like this. When when the when when the woman in this case tells her friends, "Hey, look, if if you know if anything happens to me, it's this person," mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, for someone to say that and then for that to happen, I mean, you know, they know. I mean, these you know they, these people, yeah. you know, it's like like, like uh, look at this Susan Stephen Powell. Powell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally, that one just kills me. Yeah, you know, it's, it's so like sad. I mean, you hear that a, a lot. You know, where where somebody says, hey, you know, if something happens to me, it's this person. And I don't know how seriously anybody takes it at the time, but. If something happens to me, it was not him. And if, if something <laughs> happens to me, it wasn't him. her. Please. Yeah, it wasn't. No, I love you. I love you, baby. Don't so what are you talking about? What story are you talking about? All right. Well, the story I want to tell you today is also about a guy who allegedly could not handle rejection. This guy's name is Bryce Dickey. And the girl he's accused of killing is Gabriel Ulacki. But everyone knew her as Brittany. Now, this happened just last March in 2020 when she was 16 and he was 18. He's still awaiting his trial. Okay, so this is a developing story. Yes. Okay, cool. Well, take it away. I'm going to get into it. Brittany Ulacki was a 16-year-old cowgirl. On March 11, 2020, her body was found wrapped in a tarp and abandoned in a remote area of the Burner Basin Desert in northern Nevada less than seven miles from her high school in Spring Creek. She'd been raped and her throat was slashed. Brittany worked part-time on a ranch, she drove cattle, and she wanted to be a rodeo queen. Her friends and family say she was fearless, a real firecracker. 
The kind of girl that made life interesting, someone you'd want to be friends with, unless you're that kind of guy that wanted more than friendship and didn't want to take no for an answer. Someone like the guy she called her big brother, her rodeo pal since middle school, 18-year-old Bryce Dickey. On a Sunday afternoon, three days before her body was found, Brittany was watching her dad's band practice. She left early to catch a ride with Bryce. Before she left, she told her dad she would beat him home. When she still wasn't there by 8.45 p.m., he called the police to report her missing. Within an hour, they pinged her cell phone. The last activity was at 5.22 p.m. on the road near the high school. That was March 8, 2020. Bryce was the last person to see Brittany. The police had some questions for him, and he had quite the story. Bryce said he picked her up around 1.30 p.m. at Angel Park, near where she'd been watching her dad's band practice. He said they drove around Spring Creek for a few hours. Then she asked him to take her to the high school so she could meet up with another friend of hers. He dropped her off around 4.30, but tried to talk her out of leaving with the mysterious stranger. Bryce called him Brittany's new friend, a guy she referred to as JT. What did JT look like? Bryce said he was a tall, white guy in his late teens or early 20s wearing a cowboy hat and driving a green Ford F-150 truck. That information was printed on flyers and posted all over town as the community searched for Brittany. But no one knew the mysterious JT. Keep in mind, Spring Creek, Nevada is in the middle of cowboy country, so the description Bryce gave is about as generic as you can get. A friend of hers said she got two Snapchats from Brittany around 3.30 or 4 o'clock, and Bryce was in one of them. She said Brittany looked sick and, quote, kind of off, but when she asked her if she was okay, she just said she was having a day. After he supposedly dropped her off in the high school parking lot at 4.30 on March 8th, Bryce called the same friend Brittany had been Snapchatting with earlier. He told her he'd dropped Brittany off but tried to stop her from leaving with that mysterious new guy. He asked her to call Brittany because he was worried about her safety. Her friend later said she tried calling continuously after that, but Brittany didn't pick up. Another friend of hers told the Daily Beast she texted Brittany around 4.37 p.m. on the day she went missing. She wanted Brittany to come over for pizza, but she never responded, and her phone call went straight to voicemail. Her phone pinged for the last time around 5.22 p.m. near the high school on Boyd Kennedy Road. At 6.30, Bryce sent Brittany two unreturned Snapchats asking where she was and if she was okay. At that point, Brittany had not been reported missing and her family hadn't yet started to worry about her. At 9 p.m., only about 15 minutes after her father reported her missing, Bryce called a friend to tell him Brittany had disappeared. He asked if he wanted to come look for her with him in Burner Basin, according to the Daily Mail. His friend couldn't join the search, but... Considering that she was found in that area just three days later, that phone call seems incredibly strange. On March 9th, 2020, the day after she disappeared, police questioned Bryce for the second time. And again, he gave them the same story, mostly. He said he picked Brittany up at 1.30 and they drove around for three and a half hours. Then he dropped her off at the high school and watched her get into this strange cowboy's truck. But this time, he claimed to remember more about this mysterious stranger and his truck. He told police there were two stickers on the left rear window and one on the right. And the guy was tall. Tall enough that his cowboy hat was above the roof of the truck when he was standing next to it. The next day, on March 10th, the police met Bryce in the high school parking lot so he could walk them through the drop-off, step by step. 
He told them he pulled in and out of the school parking lot from the Boyd Kennedy Road entrance. After Brittany left with this stranger, he said he went to the gas station across the street to say hi to a friend. When police asked him if he and Brittany were having a sexual relationship, he said no. They were just friends. The people closest to her said the same thing. Brittany thought of Bryce like a big brother. He was even saved in her phone that way. Then, around 2 o'clock the next afternoon on March 11th, police found Brittany's body. A set of keys on a lanyard labeled with her name were laying next to her. According to the arrest affidavit, a condom wrapper and several areas of blood were found near the edge of the road near a trail of what they called disturbed earth, leading to her body. Two days later, the police did a second search of the area. That's when they found a used condom. They sent it to the lab to test for DNA. While they waited for the results to come back, they questioned Bryce again on March 13th, but he stuck to his story, sort of. In his previous statements, he said the mystery cowboy got out of his truck, which is how Bryce knew how tall he was. But when they interviewed him this time, he said the man stayed in the truck, but he could tell he was tall because the top of his hat almost touched the roof. And then they asked him the big question again. Was there any chance his DNA would be found on or inside Brittany? He said no. They were just friends. And he gave them a DNA sample when they asked for it. Meanwhile, Bryce was publicly mourning her death. Two days after her body was found, he posted this message on Facebook. Yesterday, we all received news that made us hit the floor. Around 8 in the morning, we all started meeting up at my house to grieve and to mourn Brittany's life which was taken far too soon. That day I had tears of pain and joy. I wish she could have seen the amount of us that came together to honor you, sis. We love you so much. He and his friends got together to give her a random rifle salute. He posted the whole thing on Facebook with the message, I wish you could have seen the amount of us that came together to honor you, sis. We love you so much. Just know you won't ever be forgotten. He was at all her memorials and candlelight vigils, and he wasn't just consoling her friends and family, they were consoling him too. Brittany's mom told the Daily Beast that somebody had told her he had been having a hard time with his little sister, Brittany, being gone, so she walked up to him and grabbed his face with both her hands and said, Please, honey, please don't beat yourself up. You're a good kid. He looked her dead in the eyes and didn't say anything. On March 19th, the police brought Bryce in one last time for the big reveal. They had surveillance video from cameras around Spring Creek, and the footage was allegedly telling a very different story. It was closer to 3.30, not 1.30, when he picked Brittany up on March 8th, 2020. Fifteen minutes later, at 3.45 p.m., a vehicle like the one Bryce drove went right past the high school heading toward the desert where her body was later found. The autopsy revealed she'd been suffocated and raped. She died from a stab wound to the neck. They also got the test results from the condom they found near her body. It seems the DNA inside the condom matched Bryce and the DNA on the outside matched Brittany. So, yeah. When he heard that, Bryce suddenly remembered that he did have sex with her that day, but he said it was consensual. Not likely, buddy. When police searched his house, they found a pair of red-brown stained boots in the closet. There was a knife stuck inside one of them. In a toolbox, they found a shirt stained red-brown. 
On March 19, 2020, Bryce was arrested for murder and sexual assault. His arrest shocked everyone who knew him. They all thought he was just a shy kid, a cowboy like Brittany. He had a serious girlfriend, her friends told Oxygen. They'd been together for almost three years. Her mom told Oxygen just how much she trusted Bryce with her daughter. She would say, hey, mom, there's a group of us doing this and this and this, and I want to go. And I'd say, oh, I don't know. And and Brittany would say, mom, Bryce is going to be the one that drives me. And I'd say, oh, okay, then you can go. Because, you know, there was absolutely no indication that you couldn't trust this kid. In the months leading up to her death, the people close to her say his friends were bullying her online. It got so bad, her parents let her switch to homeschooling. Were his friends targeting her because Bryce wasn't happy in the friend zone? He told her how he felt, but she just didn't like him like that, according to a statement a friend of hers gave to Oxygen.com. Did he want to get his way whether she liked it or not? And as for JT, that mysterious tall cowboy Bryce was so concerned about, investigators believe he made it all up to establish the idea that someone else was the last to see her. He's pleading not guilty, and today, more than a year after her murder in March of 2020, a trial date has yet to be scheduled. And that's your recap. Thanks for spending some time with us today. If you like getting twice the crime in half the time, please take a second to hit subscribe and give this podcast a five-star rating and let us know what you think in the comments. Until next time, take care.